So this is the month of May. This is the fourth Sunday in the month of May. And if you've been here the last few months, then you know that the last few weeks, Pastor Keith has been in a sermon series in the month of May called Miracles. He's covered a lot of great miracles from the scripture, two from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Um, And I don't think it's a coincidence that this just happens to be in the middle of a Miracles sermon series. So for some of you, this felt like it would be a lifetime away. Graduates, for some of you, this feels like you blinked and it just happened. For others of you, this felt like an eternity. It's the same for your families. For many of them, they've been there for the long nights of the projects. They've been there for the early mornings that you are crying over a test that you probably didn't study for as much as you should have beforehand. But they've also been there to celebrate you. And when that day comes, when you walk across the stage, they'll celebrate you again. But they will celebrate you from today and every day from here on out. Don't forget them. So this morning, we're able to celebrate our high school and our college graduates. We're able to celebrate with the families. We're able to celebrate with everybody that's played a hand in getting them here. And I would be remiss if I didn't give a little bit of advice. But there's a couple quotes that I want us to key in on because for me, There's people that are much funnier than I am. There's people that are much smarter than I am. So when I say their words, it just sounds better. So if you think you're too small to be effective, you have never been in bed with a mosquito. So this was for Kaylin because we were in Africa together and actually had a mosquito inside my mosquito net. Did not get a great night's sleep. Now that you've graduated, remember, bosses do not accept letters from your mom. And the last one here, you know that point of your graduation where everybody's excited and they toss their caps? Isn't it great that we all celebrate how smart we are by throwing sharp pointy objects? (laughs) So these are some quotes that bring a little bit of joy, a little bit of laughter, but they're also true. And so there's a little bit of advice for our high school graduates. Your college professors are not as scary as you might think they are. They're just as nervous about your class and your new semester as you are. If you're going to be worried about your class, don't let it be because of the professor. Your study habits. You can't do the exact same thing you did through high school and to get through college. Our college graduates will agree with that, unless they're just geniuses and they got lucky. Sleep. You don't actually have to pull all-nighters in college to be successful, if you plan. And this is my favorite part right here. You will come to love long naps after back-to-back classes. Also, sleep, but not through your morning class. Your class's canceled emails will take your day from zero to 100 really quick. The last and most important piece of information, Wi-Fi is not reliable at 9 p.m. on a Sunday night, and neither is the website that you're trying to submit your assignment. Make sure you turn it in on time. College graduates, don't think I forgot about you. Dishes. This one hits me a little bit, I'm not going to lie. Do the dishes every night before going to bed. It's a whole lot easier to do a couple pots and pans than it is to wash every dish you own once every other week. (laughs) Trial and failure. Don't let the fear of being wrong keep you from taking initiative and doing something new. A lot of times, trial and error is essential for learning. It's also using your best judgment and have confidence in yourself. 
this last bit of information is for all of us. Regardless of graduate affiliation, regardless if you've graduated or not graduated or have a graduate or don't, you're going to miss these days. Treasure these moments because they go fast. You're responsible for your actions. With more freedom comes more responsibility. There's wise men throughout history that have said this. You have Winston Churchill, Teddy Roosevelt, FDR have all made similar statements. But I think the one we remember the most comes from the deeply theological movie Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben was on to something when he said that. Every decision you make will impact your future. The trajectory of your life is a lot of little decisions that add up. Don't neglect that. And the last one, accumulate memories and not stuff. I love shoes, I love phones, I love my truck, I love all these things, but they pale in comparison to the memories that I've accumulated. Even now, my three-year-old on the front row, the memories with her outweigh anything I could ever own. That goes for every single one of us. And here's the hard part. Social media. This is for y'all, but it's also for the adults in the room. Social media is a perfectly depicted picture of somebody's life. It's edited, it's intentional, and it's out there for show. Don't measure your life against somebody else's perfect life. And here's something for all of us. What's more important than passing down worldly information? What's more important than passing down worldly advice? The answer to that is passing down your faith to the next generation and the generations that come after. For me, this is a passion of mine. My focus in my master's program was discipleship and church ministries. So for me, multi-generational discipleship is the number one thing. That is, that's, a, that's my hot button topic. But it's because I see the value in it. We see throughout scripture, Elijah and Elisha in 2 Kings 2. Eli and Samuel in 1 Samuel 3. Timothy and his mother and his grandmother. As well as Timothy and Paul in 2 Timothy. Naomi and Ruth, the entire book of Ruth. And Moses and Joshua in Deuteronomy chapter 31. Time and time again, you see the importance of one generation passing down to the next. It didn't matter whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, somebody that's a major prophet, minor prophet, or even Jesus. Discipleship was key. And here's a passage in the the New Testament. You see this in Titus chapter 2. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, Sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, kind, and submissive to their husbands, and the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. When you hear these words, this is literally written in the New Testament. But it parallels exactly what we're talking about in the Old Testament. We're in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 parallels so much of the New Testament. It also parallels a lot of our lives today. And so for me, I look at this passage. I look at Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 12. That's where we're going to be today. And this passage is full of so much wisdom. So much encouragement, but there's also a challenge. So if you're following along, we're going to be in verse number one of Deuteronomy chapter six.
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. These first three verses are talking about actual laws and decrees that God has given his people. This is written in the first five books of the Bible. This is something where from the onset, God has given his decrees, his statutes, and his laws to his people, the people of Israel in that time. But the cool part here is it also points to multi-generational impact after that. It doesn't just say, hey, when I've given you the laws and decrees, take them, write them down, and uh, just neglect them the rest of your life. No, it literally says here that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. It wasn't for one generation, but it was for all generations. But the cool part with that was it didn't end with, hey, just tell them and tell them and tell them. It says tell them so that they can fear the Lord, that they would respect and revere and have an impact and love the Lord. And that's where the commands and the decrees came from. It wasn't because God was trying to punish anybody. It wasn't because God was trying to cause a problem. It was literally because God loved his people and wanted his people to love him back. We continue in verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorpost of your gates. You hear these verses, verses four through nine, and there's a phrase in there that we've probably heard time and time and time and time again. And you've heard it in VBS, you've heard it in BSF, you've heard it probably at your house, and it was, love the Lord your God, but it said with all your heart, soul, and strength. If you're like me, you're like, oh, wait a second, I thought there was a fourth one. There is. Remember the part where I told you Deuteronomy was paralleled in the Gospels? Matthew 22, Mark 12, and Luke 10, where it says the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. We have the Gospels and we have the Old Testament literally intertwined with the same concept. And one of the things we talk to students about all the time is if you see something in Scripture once, it's important, it's true. If you see something in Scripture twice, it might be time to pay attention. If you see something in the Old Testament and three Gospels, might be something worth remembering. But the cool part is it also told us to love our neighbor. We all the time get into, like, who's your neighbor? Well, that person across the street, like, kind of, maybe they agree with me, they don't. This has nothing to do with that. This affects every single one of us. Because verses seven through nine, the first six verses say, hey, it's good to do this, and there's why. But seven through nine starts to get personal, starts to get real. And for me, I've heard it time and time again. Hey, I know that I should be teaching my student the Bible. We're just too busy. Well, I know I should be teaching my student the Bible, but I just don't feel equipped. And you come up with reason after reason after reason. And for me, it's cool because you look back at the Old Testament, literally in Deuteronomy chapter six, thousands of years ago, this was true. And it said this, repetition is being the key. So when you sit at home, if you're at home on a Saturday night, just hanging out with the family, there's a good time to do it. 
How about that random Tuesday night? You just finally have a night off. There's the time to do it. Okay, well, what if you don't have any nights off? Cool part. When you walk along the road, most of you didn't walk here, so I'm going to translate this for you. When you ride in the family vehicle, no matter where you're going, it could be a tournament, it could be shopping, it could be church, no matter where you are going, talk about it then. When you lie down at night, anybody in here a morning person? I kind of had to become one because I have a baby. But for you, you're like, okay, I can do my nighttime really easy. This is perfect time. Great. Do it at night. But anybody in here that's like, hey, you know, I cannot do it at night. Well, here's the cool part. When you get up in the morning, every single thing that we have an excuse for. Well, I'm never home. Okay, we'll do it on the road. I'm always on the road. We'll do it at home. Well, I'm a morning person. Okay, we'll do it in the morning. Well, I'm actually a night out. Okay, we'll do it at night. Every excuse that we come up with, every reason that we have to not do it, the scriptures give us a reason to do it. And the awesome part here is it's the repetition. It's the daily rhythm of life. Every single one of us has a rhythm, a repetition, and we kind of get stuck in that routine sometimes. But I'll tell you this, when you make a routine of having Christ in your life and in the life of your family, is the most important aspect of your daily rhythm that you could add. Keep going here. The secular world has something to say about this as well. The secular world, somebody that doesn't believe what we believe, they don't agree with everything that we agree with, even they believe that four meals a week, a student's at-risk behavior drops significantly. Four meals. I'm not a mathematician, but I did graduate. 21 meals in the week. Most of us eat three a day. If you don't eat breakfast, we'll just chop that down to 14. So you got 14. Now you're doing math. You're like, well, my student's never home during the week. Okay, well, let's take down those five that they're at lunch Monday through Friday. You have nine more meals. The secular world's asking you to spend less than half of those with your student. Less than half. Four. 44.4% with your student. The secular world sees as important. Why does the church not? Don't neglect the impact that you have on the next generation. Because a lot of times we have this. Parents that are physically present but are spiritually absent. It's one thing to be there at the dinner table. That's great. Sit around, even if you're hitting a drive through on your way. Spend that time together. Make good use of it. And here's the rest of our passage in verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to give to you, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Verses 10 through 12 are very exciting and very challenging at the same time. Because it literally tells us here that God's going to keep his promises. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. However, be careful. Verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Look back at this passage. After God fulfills his promises is when that caution comes. God was still faithful to do his promises. Everything that he said he was going to do, he still did. But the challenge fell on us. That fell on the people that were hearing this says this, when God brings you into the land that he promised your fathers, another generation, with cities that you did not build, God provided, houses and good things that you did not provide, 
God still provides. Wells that you did not dig. I'm gonna pause there. If anybody's ever dug a well or done manual labor, you'll appreciate this. They didn't have to touch a single thing. The wells were dug. Irrigation, the plants, the houses, everything that they needed was there and they didn't have to do a single bit of hard work. Graduates, life's not always like that. But here's the awesome part. Groves that you did not plant. There were years of preparation and provision that went into that moment. Because if you're like me, you like to like just plant a tree and it's like, hey, I'm gonna walk outside tomorrow, there's fruit, like that'd be awesome. Doesn't normally happen. You plant the tree, you wait, you wait, you wait, you wait some more. And then maybe years down the road, you're like, hey, you know what? I got one apple. And you're so excited for that one apple, right? Think about these people in this situation. Years of provision to this point because God provided. When you eat and are satisfied, God wants the best for his people. He didn't want anybody to suffer. He literally gave them cities that he had promised them. And yet, then, do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. It is then at the moment where God has fulfilled his promises. It is the God who provided, the God who kept his promises, the God who wants the best for you. Once you have everything you've been praying for, whether you think you deserve it or not, that's the time to be careful. Because a lot of us, if we're being honest, when you pray for something and you finally get it, it's real easy to be like, hey, thanks God, you keep going. I got this, I can do it by myself, I'm, I'm good now, I got what I needed. That's not the relationship that God wants. That's why he warns us, but be careful. Be careful not to forget the Lord, your God, who has kept his promises. The coolest part about this, looking back at Deuteronomy chapter six, is Moses is saying these words in the full assembly of all of Israel. You have the youngest of young people and the oldest of old people. I literally look in here and I think we got like a newborn over there and a six month over there. And then anybody in here in their 90s, don't raise your hand. But we have the youngest of young and the oldest of old even here. And I look at the Life Center. We close out pretty much every single Life Center service on Sunday morning with Ephesians 3. And for me, Daniel gets to see the same thing. When you're standing at the front and you see every single person there, the youngest to the oldest, reading Ephesians 3 and just praying, maybe one day it'll stick, it'll make sense. It's like this. Everybody, the youngest to the oldest, the generations that are passing it down, getting to do that. But I want to look at that passage a little bit. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And if you're normally in the life center, you hear two words after that. You're sent, right? The question is, why do I say that? Why does that matter? Why are you sent? Graduates, this morning, why are you sent? 
This is why you look back at these words, because when you've been strengthened with the power through his spirit, like it says in verse 16, like you have the opportunity to have Christ dwell in your hearts in verse 17, to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ in verse 18, then you have the opportunity to comprehend the height, the length, the breadth, and the width that literally knows the love of Christ surpassing knowledge. There's so much that you've learned in your 18 to 22 years of life, but there's nothing like knowing that Christ's love surpasses all of that knowledge. The best part is that gets us to this, verse 19. We are filled with all the fullness of God. Everything that you take and you put in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, a lot of times you go back to from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're filled with the goodness of God, every interaction you have is gonna be Christ-centered. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're not gonna be like, "Mm, small little horn. No, you're like, hey, you know what? Maybe that person's in a hurry. Let me pray for them. On the flip side, when you're not filled with the love of Christ, then there's so much in this world that's gonna vie for your attention and it's gonna get it. Stay focused on the right things and then you realize this. When we've been filled with the spirit, we comprehend and know the love of Christ surpassing knowledge. You can then understand the importance of verses 20 and 21. Now to him being God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. He can do more than we can think in our human minds, our human realm. For me, I have a three-year-old that thinks I know everything. And if you've ever been in the stage of these guys being three, you understand that there's a lot of questions. But I'll also tell you this. There's a man that told me every single time there's a question, answer their question. It's how they learn. It's how they grow. But let me tell you this. This is news to her. She doesn't know this. I don't know everything. I don't. Sorry, I don't know everything. But her mom does, so it's fine. But here's the cool part. We don't have to have everything because God knows everything. He's the creator of the universe. He's the one that created every single one of us, created all these graduates, created the day that we're in today. We don't have to try to fathom and imagine what he can do because he outgoes that. According to power at work with us, that's the spirit of God. To him be glory in the church. God deserves the glory of everything we do inside these four walls but he also deserves the glory of everything we do out there too. We have to remember that. It doesn't just stop with coming in, checking a box and leaving. He gets the glory here when you do that, yes, but the glory he gets out there is far more than he gets in here. And ends with that, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. This is the importance of the next generation. Every generation matters to God. Be like, well, how long does that last? Well, good news, forever and ever, forever and ever, eternity. It's not, okay, let me write it down. I gotta care for these students for 100 years and then I'm done, check. It's not how it works. It's not how discipleship works. That's not how your faith works. That's not how it works at all. But when you have the opportunity, no matter your age, no matter your affiliation to graduates or no graduates, children, no children, single, married, it doesn't matter. Every single one of us has a role in sharing the gospel with the next generation. We all have things that we've learned in life. Graduates, this is for you. There's people around you that have been where you sit today and have made mistakes where you're going. Learn from their mistakes so you don't have to always make your own. And on the flip side, people that have already graduated, people that have kids, people that have learned, people that have made mistakes, don't be afraid to talk to the next generation because the next generation has things to learn. 
And I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes millennials, I'm in the same gap. We actually like to learn. We actually like to learn. We might not walk up to you and say, hey, can you tell me how to, and then ask what it is. But if you come up to me and you say, hey, um, let me tell you a story. You start to share about a time that God was faithful in your life. I'll listen every time. And so will they. We love to hear stories. And we love to hear your story. And don't neglect the power of your story in somebody else's life. But here's the cool part, graduates. If you look over your left shoulder up there, there's people up there that look up to you. Some of that's scary. But every single one of them has looked up to you to get to you where you are today. So don't neglect the other generation that is looking up to you. Because you're an example too. You see it throughout scripture. The next generation, the next generation, and the next generation. So just as you were sent every service back into the world, graduates, today I'm sending you. Just as Jesus has sent you into the world with the good news of the gospel to share with everybody you come in contact with. Not a single one of you, I believe, is going to the same college, which means we have missionaries on eight different campuses now. When you change your perspective and you change the fact of like, okay, none of my church friends are going to school, to you know what? None of my friends are going with me, but I've got Jesus and we're going. It changes your mindset. It changes why you believe that you are sent because you are sent. But here's the cool part. You didn't get here by yourselves. You didn't get here by yourselves. Be thankful for the ones that helped you to get to this moment but also think about the ones coming behind you. Help pave the way for others to sit where you're sitting today. I'm proud of each and every one of you. You did it. Cherish this moment. Live in this moment. Graduates, you are sent. Pray with me. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for allowing us to be here to celebrate the graduates, their families, and everybody that's played an impact in their lives. Lord, I pray right now for these graduates as they leave from this place that they would know full well that you are the God who loves them, that created them, and will be with them. Lord, you keep your promises, and just as you promised in Deuteronomy, you promised today to be the God that is the promise keeper, the one that fulfills our very needs, that you provide more than we can ask or imagine. And Lord, I praise you for who you are, for sending your son to die on the cross, that we may be forgiven of our sins, that we would spend eternity with you. Lord, I pray all of this in your name. Amen.